Before we get into the message this morning, let's bow our hearts in prayer together. I ask that God's word go forth in mighty power this morning, and I ask as we bow and pray together that you will pray for the speaker. Christmas is a big story, (laughs) a lot of story. The Magnificat is a huge story. Out of those few verses there, there is so much. And there's so much to grow from, so much to learn, and so much to be blessed by. One person's faithfulness. We wouldn't be here today for one per- except for one person's faithfulness. Let us bow together. Lord, I come to you now. Ask that you would use this messenger and open us together, open our eyes that we can behold the wondrous things from your word. And not just behold them, but take those things in our lives and meditate upon them and grow thereby. And be encouraged and to be lifted up and to respond to you in ways that you would call us. You sent Jesus for a purpose and you used important people. Not that they were important in any status in this world, but they were people of faith. People of faith. Christmas is a story of faith. People who were just of low and humble estate. People that you used in magnificent ways to bring the Savior into this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Giving magnificent praise to God. You know, Mary did it. You know what? We ought to learn how to do it too. <laughs> We sing a song sometimes called uh, Mary Did You Know, which was written in 1991. Uh, It was sung originally by Michael English. And, you know, it really gives you some things to think about. What was on Mary's mind? You know, Scripture sometimes says about Mary uh, that she pondered things in her heart. When the usual things that Jesus said and Jesus did, she had to wonder, where's this going next? (laughs) The visitation from Gabriel that came. Why are you coming to me? The remarkable things. Mary was there during Jesus' ministry. Mary was there when Jesus hung on the cross. Now, if anybody could have told the story and said that Jesus, who was not who he said he was, would it not be the mother? But when the church formed on that day in Pentecost, guess who was there? Mary was there. Mary and her faithfulness was there the whole time, watching her son, watching him die, watching him be glorified and ascending to heaven and being part of the early church. We sing these songs. I can't imagine what it would be like for a mother to see those magnificent things. Uh, You know, some of the songs says, you know, your baby boy, has walked where angels trod. We see many times through the ministry of Christ that angels came together. When you kissed your little baby, you kissed the face of God. (laughs) Incredible, incredible statements. That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. When Jesus was having his argument with the Pharisees, take, take time this afternoon to read John 8 and watch the escalation of this argument between Jesus and the Pharisees. It is a remarkable chapter if you read the story. But the last thing Jesus said to them was, before Abraham was, I am. Believe me, the Pharisees did not like hearing that one. (laughs) 
But he is the great I am. And without Mary's part in this story, we may be singing a different tune right now. Very important. Elizabeth, the cousin, when Mary arrived, and it said that uh, my baby leaped in my womb when you walked in the door. And Elizabeth learned the story of what happened. She said, blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen that the mother of my Lord should come to me? A remarkable, a remarkable moment in time. This is the mystery of the incarnation. I used to read a theology book by Augustus, Augustus Strong. Oh my gosh, the print in it was small, smaller, and smallest. I mean, I had to get magnifying glass to read some of the print in there. But I read some of the magnificent write-ups on how the incarnation took place. And you just sit there and go, you got, you, so much of it at least you're shaking your head. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Mysteries are good. The mystery of the incarnation. Because in this lifetime, you and I, the only thing we're going to get from Scripture is say that the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And what was conceived in her was the Holy Son of God. It's a beautiful story. But when the angel visited, Gabriel visited Mary, it wasn't because Mary was special. Mary was a very humble person. She didn't have any status in society. She was probably around 17 years old. She was living in accordance, living by faith, Lord. She followed the customs of her times. There was no rich. There was nothing rich and value about her family. But it was this that was special. After Gabriel gave the message, this is what she said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. That's all that was needed. That's all that was needed. And then started the incredible journey that Elizabeth acknowledged by saying, Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken. Joy in our lives. Mary's praise is fitting, a fitting example for all believers, for you and me. The Magnificat is written in Old Testament poetry, what she said. And some people, and I want to go deep into this, but some people say, well, Mary probably didn't really say it, or she was too young to know something like that. Uh, it was probably Elizabeth said it. There's a lot of different thoughts. Like I say, theologians just go crazy sometimes. Well, how young was David when he wrote some of the songs? David was probably around 13 when he wrote some of those songs. Mary was very faithful, Lord, and she would have known what was called the Song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And there are similarities between what Mary says in the Magnificat and the Song of Hannah, especially the way it begins with great words of praise. But Mary rejoiced that she is given privilege to bring the Messiah into the world. She was specially selected, only one person who could ever have that honor, and it was Mary. She glorifies God in his power and his holiness and his mercy. And we're going to talk more about that shortly. And Mary looked forward to God transforming the world through the Messiah. The promises of Abraham were in the process of being fulfilled. Daryl Brock wrote about the uh, Magnificat. He said, the Magnificat is rich in describing God's attributes, not as abstractions, but in terms of his everyday actions. Assurance comes from knowing that God acts in this way. First, faithful to his word, and two, stretching out his mighty hand to those who stand humbly before him. Notice that last sentence. St. Augustine once said, 
And this is something that you and I can memorize. For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second, and humility is the third. It is something and it is well worth our examining. How do we walk in this world? How do we approach a holy God? It is something that you and I need to examine as we walk in this world. Mary's praise, fitting example for all believers, and it's built upon the character of God. I mentioned a moment ago the divine power, the holiness, and the mercy. Look at God's divine power. We talk about God creating the universe. We talk about the miracle of the virgin birth. Let's talk about the miracle of the timing. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of the Son. The fullness of time. Just when the time was right. God's timing is always perfect. Always perfect. Divine power. Which goes to things, so we can see God's power working in our world, but how does God's power work in your life and mine? Let's talk about God's holiness. God's divine holiness, and God is set apart in his world. God is his own unique entity, and we are not him. Let us get that in our minds. You may think you rule the world. No, God controls the world. Many people think in power and government and things like that, that they control all things. Well, God's okay with me. He's just there, but I rule the world. That's not the way it is, folks. It's not the way it is. His divine power. He is the one and only potentate sovereign in this universe forever and for all time. You know, there is an old hymn. We don't sing it a lot, but we will sing it sometime while I'm here, maybe early in the new year. <laughs> but verse 3, and you'll recognize this hymn. Verse 3 of this hymn says, Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. There is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love, and purity. We gotta have a high view of God. These are magnificent words. Look at the whole hymn, holy, holy, holy. I could read off the whole hymn. I don't, for time's sake, I can't. I love that song. But we gotta understand ourselves in relation to God and ourselves. And I assure you, Mary, as you will see in a little bit, understood that as well. God's divine mercy. God's divine. If God is perfect in power and love and purity, we are not perfect. Amen? But God is a merciful God. God made a way in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son. When the time was perfect, God sent forth his son into the world. John Don once wrote, and I hope I can say this right because it's a tough quote, but it is very meaningful. God's mercy has no relation to time, no limitation in time. Whom God loves, he loves to the end, and not only to their end, to their death, but to his end. And his end is that he might love them still. It's not being in the circle. It is all the circle of God's mercy. Beginning to end forever. 
to those who are in Christ. His divine mercy from generation to generation, which Mary acknowledged in the Magnificat. Her praise is a fitting example for believers in adoration from God's people. Let's talk about adoration for a little bit. My soul makes great the Lord. In Latin, and, and that's where the word magnificat, magnificat comes from. Mag, um, I had Latin about four years worth of it, so if I go magnificat or magnificat, forgive me, I was taught magna, all right? But in Latin, the word magna means great. And you know, let's look at graduation diplomas for a second. You have cum laude. Cum laude means with praise. Then you have summa cum laude, with high praise. And then you got magna cum laude, which means what? With greatest or highest praise. Well, in the Greek, and it was translated into Latin, which is magnificat anima meta dominum, that is, my soul magnifies the Lord. Her adoration came from three things. One is for a revelation that God was her Savior and the Savior of a suffering world. And if you read the Magnificat, you see a lot of that. But what about the marvel of being chosen by God? That would be awesome. Who knows what this young girl thought about when this happened? You know, she had this vision. She thought to herself, come on, that wasn't real. I just had a weird morning. I don't know. But no, she acknowledged what happened. She gave thanks, and she gave magnificent praise to God. Her humble, low estate, she was humble, like I told you earlier, but she was going to be called blessed for generations. And is Mary still called blessed for generations? Amen. Yes, she is. Let's talk about adoration a little more, because we can swing back into the Old Testament, and, I, and I'm going to go ahead and read a little bit of Hannah's. Hannah was humiliated by her community because she was barren. In, in that time, if, if a woman was barren, uh, you, it was a shame in the community. She felt that. And as the story goes, she wound up eventually in the temple praying, and she was praying with her lips moving but not saying anything. And the, Eli, the priest, came up to her, what are you doing drunk in our temple? <laughs> and that's not what was happening. Because of her grief, she was praying, her lips were moving, and maybe she was mumbling, but she was definitely not drunk. She was seeking something from God. And she got Samuel. And this is what she said. My heart rejoices in the Lord. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like Magnificat. <laughs> my horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Listen to this adoration. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you, and there is no rock like our God. Daniel 9, 1 and 6. I pray to the Lord, my God, and confess, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant to those who love him and keep his commands. Are these great ways to start prayers? Amen, they are. And after Daniel said that, he went right into confession. We have sinned and done wrong. And he goes on and tells and names the sins of the children of Israel. You know, our adoration for God can be as simple what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, or the prayer that he taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, 
Your name is to be honored as holy, or our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. The name Hallowed comes from Hagias in the Greek, and it means holy. Are we treating God as holy in our prayers? Are we giving our hearts honestly to God? When we pray, are we truly adoring God? Hey, everybody is here. He's blessed us greatly. Let us give that heartfelt gratitude to God. And in that, let us follow his leading. And at times, let us give to others as well. Let us do these things. For it is right to do. Simple. Profound. You know, many times the greatest prayers of adoration come from people in time of struggle. Daniel was... Uh, the people were in that captivity to Babylon for 70 years. Hannah, as I said, suffered humility from her barrenness, and Mary was just a person of low estate, humble, and listened to the Savior. The Imperials was a Christian group years ago who sang a song, um, Praise the Lord. And like I said, when you look at the struggles you face, you and I face in our lives, I don't know that we as Christians think this way anymore. I certainly hope we do. But I say this to you and I give you something. If somebody in this audience is struggling today, listen to the words of this song and take it, own it, and go to the Lord on your time or anywhere and, and, and praise the Lord. He said, when you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes, and you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fears. Don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord, for our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord, for the chains that, chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise him. Adoration for God. When you come to God, pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, we got to know we're praying to. We got to know where he is and who he is. And he is a holy God. He is one that we should come to reverence, with reverence and awe. Adoration. Her praise is fitting for believers in the salvation for his people. Mary, like everybody else, had to be saved too. We read the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Look, we can sit and we can talk about the manger all day. We can talk about the shepherds in the field watching their flocks by night. We can talk about the trip to Bethlehem. We can talk about the mysterious, the miraculous star. But when it comes down to it all, God's greatest intervention in this world to send Jesus Christ here had a reason for it. Matthew 1, 20, verse, 1 verses 20 and 21. Joseph, and, and this is, Joseph got this in the dream. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now comes the reason. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus said, and his mission was to come in this world to seek and to save that which was lost. It had a purpose to come. 
to save you and me. We come to Christmas, I like Christmas just as much as any, anybody else, but we have to realize and we can never give up the fact that he was born to die on a cross. We love, the, we love the virgin birth. We love to talk this Christmas story. But it looked forward to the cross. Beloved, it looks forward to the cross. When you and I get together as families and celebrate this holiday, we got to look at it in light of the cross. He came to save his people from their sins. His mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Simeon's blessing in the next chapter. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel. To be a sign that will be opposed. And listen what he said to Mary. And a sword will pierce your own soul. And the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Mary had to have conviction. Mary had to believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. It says about his brothers that none of them would believe him. But after he was resurrected from the dead, they seemed to have changed their mind. As we know from James and Jude. <laughs> you know, you can look at a parallel passage in Hebrews 4.12. And this really does apply to us. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing the division of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is discerning of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's conviction. When the Holy Spirit works in your life and mine, it convicts us of sin. Whether you are lost or whether you're a believer, you have to respond to that. Be like Mary and say, yes, Lord, I receive what you give me. If you say no, you may never get another opportunity. The word of God, it cuts through you and me and what's in it, what's in us. It happened to Mary, and as you can see, it happens with us as well. It's called conviction. For God so loved the world that in this way, he gave his one and only, he gave his unique son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. One and only son, unique. One of a kind. There is no other. Acts 4.12, Peter said to the Sanhedrin, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And Paul even takes it further when he spoke to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 17. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, and Paul was talking about the times of ignorance with the Gentiles, because the children of Israel failed to, sail, to give the good news to the lost Gentile people. And that was a shame. But God overlooked the times of ignorance. But listen to this. God now commands all people everywhere to repent. To turn around. Change their direction. Because God has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness. By the man he has appointed. And here's the secret. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. There is only one we know in the history of this universe who rose from the dead. It is Jesus Christ. Salvation is in him alone. I am amazed these days because I see my denomination. Many people, they take surveys once in a while. And like 20 to 30% of them do not believe necessarily that Jesus is the only way. In my denomination, that, that's an abominable thought. There is only one way to salvation. Unless this word of God changes, you come through Christ. 
and no one else. You, Christian, if you're backslidden and you need to get in fellowship, back in fellowship with Christ, you go to Christ and no one else. He's forgiving. Who is the type of person that's open to this good news? Well, let's look at Isaiah 42.3. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. We suffer, we struggle at times in our lives. We come to Christ. Has he ever turned us away? Has he ever not given us a hand of mercy and say, welcome back, dear child? Treating us like the prodigal son. Welcome home. He will not put that smoldering wick out in your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the first beatitude. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That poor in spirit means bankrupt in spirit. I'm empty. I, I don't have anything else within me. I only can do is cry out to God. It's all I have left. That's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many times of our lives have we experienced our lives shattering and falling apart? And we called and cried about it. We were bankrupt. And he came and responded and lifted us back up. How many times? I love Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is the kind of God we have. This is our Lord who came into the world. Brought by a humble servant named Mary. To come to faith, is, it's not hard, but if the Holy Spirit is convicting you and calling you, it says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's Romans 10, 9 and verse 13. I would say to you if anybody is struggling in this area and needs to know about Christ, I stay here after this service. You're welcome to come by the office or come by me and we can talk about it about this. It's very important. Jesus is a good Savior. He came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. He will save his people from their sins. And he is going to help you and journey with you on this Christian life. You'll commit yourself to him. Her praise is a fitting example for believers in the preservation of his people. It says his mercy in verse 50, his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. In the Old Testament, you see many times, you'll see this phrase, his faithful love endures forever. And a lot of my reading of scripture lately, I've been reading his faithful love endures forever. I'm going, oh my goodness, this Greek, I'm sorry, this Hebrew word there is hesed. And the word hesed is talking about God's covenant faithfulness. And God's covenant faithfulness is more about him keeping it than us. Because we're not always able to do that. But he thankfully always is. Covenant faithfulness, Psalm 136, take some time to read it. I had a fellow a colleague one time say to me, oh, so Christian songs are so repetitive all the time, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, have you ever read Psalm 136? You got 26 verses of responsive reading. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. We ought to be thankful for that. If without it, we're lost. His covenant faithfulness that he keeps for us with his people who fear him, who treat him with reverence and awe, who love him and have a faith walk with him. 
There are many covenants in the Old Testament. Mount Sinai gave us the law. The Abrahamic covenant gave us the children of Israel. And actually the covenant of faith too. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. Paul stated that in Romans chapter 4. And then we have the Davidic covenant. That's the kingly line from which would come the King of Kings, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But when we look at covenants, I want to talk about how does that apply? Why do you talk about these old covenants, Chaplain? Because you know what? God has a covenant with his believers. That he's going to save them and he's going to keep them. And I know of no greater statement in the history of the church that comes from the 1646 Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm only going to read one stanza of the statement on the perseverance of the saints. I would encourage you to take time to read the other two. When I was in seminary and I gave a presentation on the perseverance of the saints, uh, my friends just said, oh, it's one saved, all saved, you can live and do what you want. But after I gave my particular point paper on that topic, just about everyone in class said to me, you know what, that's been my real Christian experience, is what you brought to us today. The perseverance of the states, saints, stanza one says, they whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and made holy or sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere until the end and be eternally saved. Why is that? Well, let me tell you why. 1 Peter 1.5 says that we are kept or we are guarded by the power of God in our salvation. The ceiling and everything about our salvation relies on God. You and I can't do this. We had to have somebody else do it for us. Covenant faithfulness, perseverance. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that you and I, when we believe the good news of the gospel and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the next verse says, the Holy Spirit was a down payment on our salvation. Those who are truly in the faith cannot walk away and will not walk away. They may, and if you go down to, stand, uh, go down to the uh, third part, of that particular statement, you will find that sometimes Christians fall innocent, Christians sometimes suffer, but they will never totally fall away. They will come back. You want to know why? Holy Spirit's not going to let you go. Augustine was right when he called him the hound of heaven. It's coming after you. If you don't belong to him and you don't care, then you were never part of the faith to begin with. I know that's a hard truth, but I have to say it in honesty, honesty from my heart. The hard truth. We are kept, we are guarded by the power of God. R.C. Sproul once said that true Christians can have radical and serious falls, but never totally and finally fall from grace. God gives us grace. Everyone Father gives me will come to me, Jesus said, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Isn't that a beautiful promise? You know, times in my life when I've been troubled, I've gone to this verse and I've cried. It's just wonderful. We have a wonderful, merciful Savior who guards us and keeps us. I look at this, and we don't have this without Mary. You say, well, how did you get on these other topics? Well, because some of this is what Mary was alluding to. What was going to come as a result of the birth of her son? One humble maiden of low estate. I am the Lord's servant. 
May it be done to me according to your word. It changed the world. Isaiah 9, 5. For a child will be born unto us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Is this not truly worth our adoration of God? Our salvation in Christ. Our preservation and hope. And a blessed future with our Savior for eternity. Is that not worth our magnificent praise? Amen.